You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live at the Standing Room Spartans podcast. We are back. Your host, Kevin Parker, co-host Scott Martin here. It is Thursday morning, and uh, Mel Tucker just posted a uh, video saying that a decision has been made about some NFT, probably. Um, but we'll see. Maybe that'll be updated as uh, as the episode goes on. But Scott, it is Thursday morning. How are we doing today? It's not just Thursday morning, Kevin. It's the first day of fall camp. And if you're into really bad NFL preseason action, the Hall of Fame game, which is not anything to write home about, except that it is the first organized football at the college or pro level of the new season, which why wouldn't we celebrate that? Um, We are back. I feel like we've been back. This summer alone, like more than Texas <laughs> has been back in the last yeah. 10 years. Um, but we're back again. Yeah, I mean, football's back. We're back. Everything's back. Mel Tucker's making cryptic announcements, which uh, for better or for worse. Um, and we're here to talk about some defense. I played defense more than I played offense, which is not to say very much at all. But I always love talking about defense. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, it should be a good one. Apologies for the delay in getting it out this week. I, I feel like this is a, a weekly apology, but uh, I was moving, so we got a new apartment. So on top of the and and started a new job as well. So I'll pile on the excuses and hope for forgiveness. Uh, but I mean, the main reason was just that we didn't have internet when we moved in. So. Uh, finally, got that sorted out, and now able to get the podcast. Back, uh, we were planning on separating the defensive line and the linebackers into two episodes with our normal twice-a-week schedule. Unfortunately, with these issues, only one episode here this week, which means we'll just combine it into a front seven episode, which you know we were kind of talking about might actually just make things easier because there are so many kind of position-flexible guys that will play a little bit of linebacker and a little bit of edge or whatever, so it's kind of easier to just lump it in together. Uh, but again, that's just me making excuses for poor planning. So apologies for everybody out there. Um, yeah, we will get into all of that. We have the front seven to get to before we do, uh, you know, again, weekly request, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, all of that fun stuff. And again, season is creeping up. We are less than a month, 29 Shakur Brown days away from the season now. So if you have any friends, family, whether they have been talking about or asking about it or not, you can unsolicited um, invite them to join the Standing Room Spartans community. Uh, have them subscribe, have them listen, and you guys can all talk about our bad takes together. Makes it a little more fun. So I want to open this here, Scott, with uh, an interesting question. As I'm starting to kind of go through predictions and we'll get to our predictions obviously as the season rolls a little bit closer we have a little more time to sort through all this but i've found myself in a position where there is there are five coin flip games basically on the schedule there's just there's a lot of games that can really kind of 
turn the tides of the season, um, not just based even on the opponent, but where they're at in the calendar and and where they fall and homer away. There's just a lot of really interesting games on this schedule. So I want to start with just a fun question here. I want two games from you, and I'll I'll give the same for myself as well, obviously. I want one game that if you traveled back in time from January 2023 and you got to tell yourself, Scott, Michigan State won this game, and that would tell you, okay, we probably had a really, really good season, 9, 10, maybe 11 wins. And then one on on the flip side, right, where future you comes back in time and says, Scott, I I hate to break it to you, but Michigan State lost this game. And then you have to make your prediction surrounding that and thinking, oh, we might only be a six-win team if we lost that game, right? And, And I'll kind of automatically toss out Ohio State doesn't qualify for this. Obviously, if we beat Ohio State, that means that this was an insanely good season or we really pulled an upset. Um, And same goes for like Akron, right? If we lose to Akron, obviously, things are probably not going to go as planned this season. So of the rest of those games kind of on the schedule, I want one where if we win this game, it's going to be a really good season. And one where if we lose this game, it's not going to be as expected. I'll start with the the bad side of this coin because it's always good to start with the bad news. Um, if we lose to Minnesota week four, it's going to be a rough year. Uh, they're kind of that, I think, mid-mark in the Big Ten, right? They're like a good Big Ten West team, but put them in the East, they're probably losing record more years than not in conference. I expect them to be a similar team, pretty sound fundamentally, but also not just not particularly talented. Uh, so you'd expect a win from from a good MSU team. So if we come out week four at home as well, if we come out week four, lose to Minnesota, a lot of those coin flip games start to look like they're going to land on the bad side of that coin. Um, and you put yourself on upset alert for, for a couple more like Maryland, Illinois on the road, you know, you lose to Minnesota, you're probably not going to beat Penn state or Wisconsin, definitely not going to beat Ohio state or Michigan. So that I wanted to go with an early game. Cause like, I don't know, it's just something to keep your eye on. Um, on the flip side, obviously if we beat Ohio state, like you said, phenomenal season, but if we beat Wisconsin at home, I think that's going to be a great mark for a great season. If we beat Wisconsin at home, I think we go into that game five and one with that sole loss against Ohio state. If we beat Wisconsin at home, we got a shot at Michigan. We got a good shot at Penn state and everyone else, Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana down the stretch should be wins as well. So get through that Wisconsin game. You're probably looking at a minimum nine wins with Penn state, Michigan and Ohio state as the question marks, but you catch one against Michigan or Penn State as well, you could hit that 10 mark. Yeah, I I I was right along the same lines of thinking. I think Minnesota is a good answer there. I'll go with with the loss. I'll go with Maryland. And and I don't think that that's really one that's in play as much as a lot of people. But I I say Maryland because a lot of people every year do we do this where everybody circles Maryland as the sleeper team. In the Big Ten East, they're going to get some teams this year, and then they play all the good teams in the conference, and they get blown out by every single one of them. And they'll beat all of the bad teams, and they'll beat them handily and make you think, oh, this Maryland team is sneaky. But then it comes, push comes to shove. When they play a good football team, they get crushed. So if you told me that we lost to Maryland, even though it's on the road, even though it's sandwiched between Minnesota and Ohio State, and even though people have it circled as that, you know, sneaky, sneaky upset alert kind of game. If you told me that we lost to Maryland, that's where I'm saying, all right, this is not a good football team because Maryland only loses to good football teams and they get crushed by good football teams. So if we can't take care of business there, that makes me really wonder about a lot of these games on the schedule, right? That 
at Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Penn State and say, well, if we can't beat Maryland, we don't have any business beating those teams. And if we lose to Maryland, Illinois on the road, that's suddenly a game that I'm worried about. Uh, Minnesota at home, that's a game I'm really worried about, right? So that's that's the answer that stuck out for me there. Um, I I was thinking about the same with Wisconsin for a win that, it, you know, again, based on where it is and the schedule, we beat Wisconsin, then it's all systems go. Uh, but to give another answer, I'll say Penn State. You know, it is at the end of the year, but again, in the in the context of time traveling, Kevin coming back and just telling me the result of one single game and me having to um, theorize what happened before that and, and how the season played out. If we can go on the road in Happy Valley and beat Penn State for a second consecutive season, that tells me that this team is for real. And, and Penn State is... I know they've been a little bit down the last couple of years, but they are a program that they hit that the Bud Elliott blue chip ratio, right? They are a super talented football team that hasn't put it together in the last couple of years, but Happy Valley is always a really difficult place to play. Um, so if you tell me that we go on the road and beat Penn State, again, in a similar light, that makes me look at a Wisconsin, a Minnesota, a Washington and say, well, if we beat, if we beat Penn State on the road, we can beat Wisconsin at home. We can beat Minnesota at home. We can beat Washington, right? So that's that's kind of where I was thinking with that one as well. But yeah, it's I mean, man, you start digging into the projections this year, and this is just such a difficult schedule to project because again, you you're probably looking at Washington, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Penn State all being they're going to be point spreads within a touchdown one way or the other. And and that just leaves a lot of variance on the table. This could be a, a seven win team. This could be a 10 win team and anywhere in between. Um, it's going to be really interesting as I start to actually make my official projections and predictions. It's a tough year to do that. That's for sure. That said uh, last year we were feeling very similar and I remember as we get into our predictions last year, my first time going through the schedule is I, I came out with nine and three. And I think we probably talked about this on live, but I, I just couldn't trust it. I couldn't believe I'm like, no, they're, they're, I distinctly remember that. Cause you texted me about it too, before we had even talked about it yeah. on the podcast. And you're we like, were, I just can't accept this as my official. <laughs> we were coming off a two and five year and I'm like, yeah, we're going to go two and five. And then the next year go nine and three. Come on, get real. <laughs> um, I have not sat down to do my first pass yet, but I think when you look at the whole schedule, it can be intimidating. You can convince yourself that certain games look worse than they are when you sit down to look at each individual game one-on-one which is really what you have to do because that's obviously you're not playing all the games at the same time. Um, so we'll see. I think that seven over under seven and a half, our home team bias will probably push me over. Just chances are, as I sit down and look at this schedule, but uh, we'll see once we get down to that later this month. Um, it's such a fun time of year. I love it. It is. I, I I keep putting in more and more team win total over under bets, and it's it is a great time to just like totally blank canvas look at the college football season without any knowledge of what's about to happen. Somebody had, who was it? It was a podcast I was listening to, and they they got a mailbag question about like basically what's the best time of the college football season? Is it the preseason right before the season kicks off? Is it week one? Is it like, you know, that mid mid to late October kind of period, week six, seven, eight-ish? Or is it, you know, kind of the last two, three weeks of the season? And my my vote is definitely for that middle chunk of the year because you kind of know, but you don't know yet. And that's kind of a fun place to be. But right before the season kicks off, is it's right up there, man. That That is a great place to be. Yeah, I'd probably go with like week four or five where yeah. everyone who's anyone is like three and oh and you're getting into conference play. They all think they're gonna have the year of their life, 
right? There's like 75 top 25 teams. <laughs> um, but nobody knows going into conference play really what's going to happen, right? You got Maryland sitting there at like number 23 in the country because they're three and zero and they crushed Charlotte yeah. and their win differential. They're, they're winning like 160 to 10 and you're right. like, well, Maryland is storming through the non-conference. Yeah. You're looking, you're like, oh, the big 10, we got 11, 12 playoff teams, right? We'll see how it plays out, but anyone could make it. And then like week five rolls around and Maryland's getting, wallop 70 to 7 in the big house and you're like all right they are who we thought they were yeah. every year man we do the same yeah. thing every year they do have i was looking at their schedule uh speaking of maryland when you were talking about them and they play michigan so they have like three tune-up games it's like buffalo charlotte and i don't know their schedule up anymore but somebody knows another nobody and then they go to the big house week four and then they go back home to college park to play us week five so we're going to have a little uh, sneak peek in the big house of what Maryland's all about pretty early this season before our game might be a trap game for us. If they get smoked uh, in I, the big house and then come back home the next week. I have a feeling that's one of those Blake Corum rushes for 180 Donovan Edwards runs for a and they just <laughs> beat the ever living crap out yeah. of them on the, just on the line of scrimmage. Not enough meat in the trenches. Yeah. But as we are gearing up for football season, DraftKings, they're always finding new ways to, you know, kind of get us involved with the game. And they have changed the fantasy game once again here this season with their first ever NFT fantasy game. It's called Rainmakers Football, a new way to enjoy daily fantasy football, a new shot to win millions in prizes, and the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. So basically what you do here, it's from what I understand, it's similar to like ultimate team. If you guys play Madden or FIFA or, or whatever. So you're playing, uh, buying, selling, bidding, winning, playing cards of the biggest names in the league through regular drops and auctions, building your collection of football stars and entering free Rainmaker football contests all season long to compete for millions in jaw dropping prizes. Each week, craft your lineups of athletes, from your NFT collection and rack up points for touchdowns, receptions, just like you would in daily fantasy football. The next generation of fantasy sports is almost here. Download the DraftKings daily fantasy app now and sign up with promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in so you can be ready for the next drop. Play free for millions in prizes all season long and build the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code TPPN, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See uh, DraftKings.com for details and see the show notes for eligibility restrictions. So let's get into it here. We have promised the people a preview of the front seven. We will give the people a preview of the front seven. Um, And I do think that this more this year, it will be a bit more of a front seven than a front six. Um, that's just my opinion. We've we've talked quite a bit about this off air, and I think only really a little bit have touched on it on air of what we think. We'll kind of start there because, again, there's a lot of things here that are moving around and players that we think are going to be playing multiple spots and moving all around the defense. And I think we're going to see different schemes. I think we're going to see a lot more than just that kind of blank, four two five that we've seen the last two years i think we're going to see some three four looks i think we're going to see some three three looks i think we're going to see some four two looks i just have a feeling when you kind of read the tea leaves and the tea leaves here being the players that we're bringing in first and foremost and then the players that have switched switched positions I think it's just all kind of going towards this new world of versatility on defense and versatility means the ability to play positions and the ability to play a lot of different schemes. And that's kind of where it just looks like it's all headed. So you have an Aaron Brule, you have a Jacoby Winman, you have a Darius Snow, you have a Tank Brown, you have a lot of these guys that can kind of move around and, Um, play different spots and I'm really curious to see how that plays out that's that's like 
one of the two or three things that I'm most excited for come kickoff is like snap to snap. What the heck is this thing going to look like just from a formation standpoint before even getting on to, you know, what players are are playing and who's playing well and all of that. Yeah. Speaking of position changes, just to tee us up a little bit here. So, um, in terms of differences from last year, two main changes in this group, uh, tank Brown, who played linebacker in high school, practiced as a linebacker at Minnesota, redshirted, uh, was listed as a defensive end last year, hurt his knee. So he didn't play too much, but now is listed once again as a linebacker and seems to have trimmed up a little bit listed at two thirty. So big guy, uh, maybe kind of, this is where we're thinking, do they go to some kind of three, four look with stand up ends, right? Tank Brown, kind of a perfect prototype for that. Um, beyond that, Darius snow is in this group for this front. If you want to call it a front seven for lack of a better term, uh, is listed as a linebacker now. Now I think he'll still be some kind of hybrid nickel. Most of the time Uh, we know he can play in space. We know he can play even over the top. So probably one of the most Swiss army knife like players on the defense where I think you could even have him rushing the passer to an extent, but yeah, this is going to be fascinating to see. It's really hard to predict, but the only concern I have with playing a really multiple defense is whether it will be too many, whether, whether they'll be asking too much of the players to learn too many different things. We saw confusion last year in this new four, two, five scheme and guys that just were playing cover three that maybe hadn't before. It was kind of a new concept for them. Um, and they struggled in it. So if we're going to three, fours, three, threes, four, twos, four, threes, switching between those consistently during games are they really going to be able to settle in find their flow on the field just get in a groove and not have to think too much i think last year some of the guys were just they were thinking way too much and that i think plays more into the secondary than than the front seven especially the front line but um yeah i just i want to see how often they're switching i i imagine they'll still have a bread and butter right they'll still have their base defense um, but I think we're going to see a lot more change than we did last season. And there, there could be an element too where the coaching staff can kind of identify some of the guys who are able to process that information a little bit better and who, who can and who can't. And within the guys who can, all right, Aaron Brule, I've, I've seen him at Mississippi State play all over the field. I, I know he can do it. I know he can figure out, you know, how to to adjust himself to different spots and different formations and different responsibilities. Whereas maybe this other guy here, look, we we've just seen it in practice. When we give him this look, he really excels. When we give this look, he doesn't really understand his responsibilities. And within the versatility, there's also some specialization, right? Maybe in this formation. I'll use Brandon Wright as an example because I think Brandon Wright is perfect in one very specific thing that he does, and that's just speed rushing off the edge. We haven't seen him do anything else. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying from what we've seen from Brandon Wright, there's one thing that he does, and he's really good at it. So, all right, when we are lining up in our third down package, which is four down linemen, Brandon Wright, you're going to be here. You're going to be speed rushing the quarterback. And then, you know, that's just kind of one less thing for somebody else to have to worry about, right? Maybe there's an element, uh, something there. But, you know, there are going to be some specialized roles of Brandon Wright. Um, I think not necessarily in a specialized role in the same way, but Cal Halliday, he's going to be your Mike linebacker. Right. I know we brought in Jacoby Winman and Aaron Boulay, and they're both really good, but they're not Mike linebackers. Cal Halliday is a Mike linebacker. He's really good at it. That's going to be his role. He's not going to be really moving around a whole lot the same way. He's not going to be moving out into the slot, covering receivers the same way that Darius Snow might as a 
quote unquote linebacker, but um, you know, there, there's an element there. I think there was that, one rep Cal Halliday had last season uh, where they did have him covering a slot receiver. Do you remember which no. one it is? Michigan game, we had just taken the lead 37-33, that first drive that ended with the J.J. McCarthy fumble. Um, Early in the drive, we had all the momentum. Spartan Stadium was rocking. And they had Halliday lined up pretty much over like the guard, if I'm remembering correctly. And his responsibility was man coverage on the slot receiver on his side of the field. So he was at least five, probably 10 yards inside of his responsibility against a receiver, not a tight end or anything. (laughs) And they ran like just like a deep fade and he was five yards behind him the entire play. And even the commentators, (laughs) they, they showed the replay and they were like, I I don't know what, you know, Scotty Hazleton expected him to do here. So yeah, definitely not his, his role. He can cover a tight end, I'm sure, but I, I just, yeah, he's not, he's not that dude. Um, I do have that's my breaking news ticker. Um, I do have the on the Twitter pages up the NF Tuck. So Mel Tucker, uh, the announcement, the big announcement is here. The NF Tuck, he has launched a series of NFTs that will give fans the chance to purchase digital and physical collectibles from my vault of personal items. Proceeds of the NF Tuck will go to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Southeast Michigan. So good cause there by Mel Tucker raising some money for charity through the NFT, the NF Tuck. All right. When I people were chattering on Twitter last night about whether this would be an NFT, and I was kind of cringing, right? I was like, ah, NFTs, whatever. I feel better now for charity. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll roll with it. I mean, you can't, for the kids. can't hate on that. Yeah. So cool. Um, see what that's all about. Um, anyway, back to our defense, <laughs> unless you have anything else on that note. Nope. That was it. So let's dig into the personnel here on, on this defensive front seven front two levels start on the inside of the line, probably the strength of the entire defense is this defensive tackle group, maybe the entire team. You can throw wide receivers in there, I think. But um, So returning, the the two that really anchored the defensive line last year, Jacob Slade, uh, returning all Big Ten player, who honestly, if he gets enough screen time, I think could make a run at All-American with the way that he played last season, especially if he improves. Uh, and Simeon Barrow, who is only a redshirt sophomore, but at times also dominated last season. Those were the front two, but they are not the only two behind them. You've got Deshaun Mallory, who two years ago dominated, took a little bit of a step back last season, went through a major body change, dropping like 50 pounds uh, between seasons two years ago and last year, but has shown he knows how to make a difference on the field. Uh, Jalen Hunt, who was a breakout candidate after last spring, but, was really just beat out for snaps. Nonetheless has the physical attributes. Maverick Hansen had a sneaky good year last year, played a lot more snaps than I think people realized myself included and was pretty productive in them from a defensive tackle perspective. Beyond that, I think Derek Harmon is also a name to keep an eye on. He really started to come on late last year and into this spring uh, listed at 330 pounds, six foot five, one of the biggest guys, actually the biggest guy in the group, if you believe the depth chart or the uh the roster so there's a couple alex van summeren uh freshman to keep an eye on i think the room's a little busy for him to really get uh to to carve out a role for himself this season but you never know uh one of the best recruits in his class coming in as a true freshman and was an early enrollee so he's been on campus for a while so this group is is deep six seven deep evan uh, there's a couple more in there but really i think those seven are the only guys who will find the field. There's really only one more and he's a walk on. So this entire group could make a difference. It is probably the deepest tackle group in the big 10, if not the country and and one of the best in the conference as well. Yeah. And we were just talking about, I think it was Spartan bot asked us about, you know, what surprised that quarterback or running back hasn't seen any more transfer movement 
with guys leaving, you know, just, Hey, there isn't enough snaps of it. I'm, I'm pretty surprised that a guy like Deshaun Mallory or a guy like Jalen Hunt hasn't decided to enter the portal because those guys could start in a lot of power five schools. You know, this isn't, these aren't guys that, well, they could move down to the Mac and be a starter. Like, no, they could move to, um, I, I don't want to say like Rutgers, but you know, they could, lo- they could move down to mid power five level. They could move to wake forest. They could move to, I don't know, uh, fill in the blank, random, you know, mid tier, uh, Kansas UCLA. state, right? Yeah. They could move to a lot of, of good football programs and start. Um, and they're going to be a lot of time on the bench, uh, for Michigan state, because like you said, Jacob Slade was incredible and because Jacob Slade was so good and and I have at least tried to do my part in in hyping him up as much as possible but um, a lot of people have as well I almost forget how good Simeon Barra was too I mean when he was on the field when those guys are on the field together it is unbelievably um, just dominant from the inside pass rushings run stuffing it's it's the whole package. the The question is, when you do line up in a four man front or even in a three man front, these these guys on the edge, it's a total question mark. Um, Chris Bogle, you bring him in from Florida. A lot of people are expecting him to be the guy, like the guy you count on for pass rush from the outside. But to this point in his career, he hasn't really shown it. He's got the tools. He's long. You know, he's got those arms that hang down to his knees, which are, are really good as a pass rusher. It allows you to get your hands on the offensive lineman before he can get his hands on you, which allows you to really control the rush. But is he powerful enough to really take advantage of that? We haven't really seen that a lot in his career. He's fast. He's got some twitch to him, but... Um, I just, I haven't seen the power. Uh, I haven't. S- and then behind that, Jeff Petrovsky, I feel like is a, I, you could rattle off the, the white pass rusher cliches, right? I, I don't have to do it, but you know what I mean? Um, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. The ceiling is a bit limited, um, high floor, low ceiling, right? We, we can kind of leave it there. And then after that, it's just a, total bag of mystery box toys that you have no idea what to expect but you certainly can't count on for production and and that's what kind of scares me about this group jeff petrovsky i think we have had a narrative around him and i don't think we're the only ones but we've had a narrative around him that like he's got this low ceiling because of his size and athleticism limitations. Jeff Petrowski only had three starts last season and was tied for 13th most sacks in the conference. And I think there sometimes are dudes who are just so scrappy and so good at the intangibles that they just exceed their ceiling, their athletic ceiling I think maybe we should give Jeff Petrovsky more credit as potentially being one of the better pass rushers in the conference this year. I think that's, that's possible. He was only a sophomore last year, scrapped out, like I said, five and a half sacks tied for 13th most in the conference on a team that largely had a pretty poor pass rush. Um, Ranked third on the team with seven tackles for loss, 33 tackles in 483 snaps. So, three forced fumbles, recovered a fumble. I mean, this dude, he, he's done it all uh, already, and he's still relatively inexperienced and young. Sure, he's six foot one, but, I mean, at a certain point, he might just be way better than we think. You know, you see him, he's a smaller guy on the field. He got a lot of reps when we needed our, our ones off the field to give them breathers, but he did a lot more than you'd expect for kind of a, a spell guy. Right. And now he's going to get his chance to start. And I think it's time we just look past the fact that he's six foot one and say, all right, you know what? He's done what he's needed to. And there's room to grow. So I don't know. This could be a great story. It could be a nothing burger. Um, We'll see. But I think I'm ready to raise his ceiling 
in terms of what we've been putting on because I, I just I don't know if we've been fair to him this far. Um, he is probably the most known factor of all the defensive ends, uh, known quantity, if you will. Chris Bogle is certainly the most hyped end on this team just because he's got a little bit more of that prototype body, but was relatively unproductive in three years at Florida. I mean, he really hasn't shown it on film that he can be the guy. And beyond that, it's, it's kind of a dearth of, of nothing. Speaking of, of guys who have the body, but I mean, you have Michael Fletcher, right? We've, we've, feel like we've been talking about him since we started the podcast first guy off the bus right but just hasn't really found the field tank brown kind of same way probably second guy off the bus but (laughs) you know uh, he's still very early in in tank brown's career but haven't you know seen it yet with him and then it's just like you said i mean it's just a box of we have no idea and it's not to say that it's bad it's just to say that we haven't seen it from any of these guys and and that makes it really interesting and that's why partially why i think when you look at jacoby winman and aaron brule coming in at quote-unquote linebacker both of those guys have experience playing on the edge Jacoby Winman spent his entire 2020 season as an edge defender. It was only last year that he switched to actually being like an off-ball linebacker. So I think you're going to see a lot of pass rush, pass rush snaps from both of those guys uh, and a lot of just variations of throwing different things at, at offensive linemen and trying to generate some pressure here. Um, linebacker is just such an interesting spot. Noah Harvey, obviously gone. Chase Klein, who's been, you know, love him or hate him. He's been on the field the last couple of years. He's gone. Quaveris Crouch, love him or hate him from last year. He's gone. So you're looking at Cal Halliday, Jacoby Winman, Aaron Brule, now Darius Snow, Ma'anauteote, right? Biggest recruit from last year. Got on the field a little bit as a freshman, mostly in special teams, but got quite a few linebacker snaps that I remember struggled a bit, but just, you know, another year in the system, learning his assignments. I'm sure he will improve. Um, Ben Van Sumeren, by all accounts, is still on the roster. He's still training with the team, even though he entered the transfer portal. Um, And then you bring in a couple young guys, but that's just a really interesting group. I I have no idea what to really make of it. Yeah. Again, versatility is making our job really hard because these guys can go all over the field. Uh, I think we have a lot of opportunities for speed rushers, for guys to play stand-up. And my question for this whole group, and maybe I'll just pose this to you, Kevin. If you are Scotty Hazleton and Mel Tucker and you know your opponents, you're you're about to play Wisconsin, okay? They're going to have one or two or three tight ends on the field every down, and they're going to run the ball 75% of the time. Who are you putting on the strong side to fight through a double team of a tackle and a tight end and slow down a play, the flow of a play? Uh, uh, (laughs) No, I I mean, Brule has a bit of experience with that, uh, you know, playing in the SEC, but you just you haven't seen it from you know Jacoby Winman. He's he's not slight. You know I I don't want to say that he's like a smaller linebacker because he's a, he's a pretty well built dude. But it's the competition level he's been facing the last couple of years. You don't really trust him to go in there and slam heads against a polling guard from Wisconsin and shed the block and make the tackle right. Um. That's that's a really interesting question because for as much as I think Quiveris Crouch struggled more than people give him credit for, he was that kind of guy, right? Just that thumper type of dude who you could just slam his head into a polling guard, and you feel like he's going to win that matchup. Um, I don't I don't really know what else we have on the roster that could do that. Even from a down lineman perspective, the defensive end group, you know, like your Jacob Panashuk. I mean, to go back a little further, you're Will Golston, right? The the big, strong side, 6'6", 250-plus, like push a guy back defensive end. 
we have a ton of guys that can play the weak side, speed rushers, smaller guys, even linebackers. But on that strong side, and this is where Michael Fletcher's name just keeps bubbling up. Like he is, he he's built like that guy, 6'6", 260. He has tons of size. He's built like Will Golston, right? And you look at him on the field and you're like, yeah, that guy. But we haven't seen it. You know, and when you look at these defensive ends and anyone who could play edge from the linebacker group as well, who's going to be the big body who can really go toe to toe with those big guys? I think that's that's one of the biggest question marks for this front seven. I think it's going to be, by and large, a really good front seven, a versatile front seven who can match up against a lot of different teams and a lot of different play styles. But do we have the meat? And I think when you look at the strength of this defense in the tackle position, I think they're going to be looking to get consistently two, but maybe three of those tackles on the field at a time, right? Go to like a three, four set with three tackles lined up. You know, you got your nose tackle and then like off guard on either side of the ball inside, everybody lined up inside the line and just let those tackles wreak havoc. Cause mm-hmm. I just think we're going to need the size to push through those lines. And I don't think we have it in the ends group or in the linebacker group. So again, maybe another wrinkle, but th- this coaching staff has shown time and again, the last couple of years that they they play to their personnel, to the strengths of their personnel. They're not like Narduzzi. He had his system. He had his quarters four three and anyone who was on the field was going to try to do exactly the same thing as their replacements. This coaching staff is different they're they're looking at their roster they're saying where are these individual guys strengths and how can we put them somewhere on the field in a scheme that fits those strengths and with this group those strengths are the tackles so how can we play around them and really have them as the source of production so to go off of your question there with a bit of an uncertainty against a team like wisconsin right? Because we're not really sure if we have that thumping strong side linebacker who can get in there. And the defensive ends are a little bit of a a question mark. Knowing what we know right now, would you feel more comfortable against a Wisconsin that you know is going to try to pound the rock on you 70% of the time that's good at doing it? Or would you rather play a I'll use Maryland as the example, but like a, I'm trying to think of a better example, but like a Maryland plus a team that's going to throw the ball 70% of the time. They're pretty good at doing it, knowing what we know about how the defensive backs and, and the front seven, I guess, to a certain extent performed last year against the pass. What play style would you feel more comfortable with right now, given the personnel? So like a, Somewhere between Maryland and Ohio State, like Maryland and Ohio State, <laughs> right. have a baby, and you land somewhere in the middle. Like, um, um, I don't know, Wake Forest from last year. I'm just going to they... go with the running team. Um, I'll use an example from last year. So, Michigan was kind of that Wisconsin like team where they had a phenomenal offensive line. They knew they could run the ball against almost anyone. And the passing game supplemented that. And it wasn't a bad pass attack, but it wasn't what they relied on. And then you had Ohio State, who could run the ball on most teams, but they won the conference through the air with those great receivers with C.J. Stroud, et cetera. Finished third in the conference through the air. Well, yeah, sorry. I'm just so ingrained in assuming they won the conference. (laughs) I forgot it's possible they didn't. Um, We got demolished i mean i don't need to tell the the people this we got demolished by ohio state and we beat michigan and i don't think the front seven last year was largely better they had different strengths than they do this year um but i don't think they were a largely better group the ends sure but beyond that i mean the linebackers i think have improved this year and the tackles are just as good with more experience this year so i'm gonna go with I would rather play the running team. I also think our secondary is better at filling for the run than covering the pass, which is absolutely a problem, but it's the truth. You know, Xavier, Xavier Henderson and whoever plays at free safety have, have shown their grade at coming up, even Darius snow coming up, stuffing the run, making an open field uh, tackles on the outside against the pass. Our linebackers have looked lost. Our secondary, we don't need to revisit that. And 
I don't know if what kind of pass rush we'll be able to generate. I think the tackles will be able to collapse the pocket at times, but are we really going to be able to get two hands on the quarterback and bring him down? I don't know. Um, so I'd rather play the running team. That said, we're going to have to have a great plan for it to uh, to stop the flow of play and plug every gap. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Just, I mean, you look at the last two years of what this staff has done, right? Scotty Hazleton, Mel Tucker, Harlan Barnett, these guys have been here. And we have been really good against the run, and we've struggled against the pass. So, you know, the only real thing we have to go from here is the history. And the history is really good against the run, and it's quite shaky against the pass. I, I, Cover 3 is doing their um, win totals for the Big Ten East, and they brought up um, Chip Patterson. He brought up that... Mel Tucker had the press conference quote that we were dead ass last in pass coverage, you know, last year. And he was like, you know, I, I do love how coaches still live in that world where they're just completely ignoring the advanced statistics, whether that's just for show or not, because again, you go into, you know, they had mentioned with like the EPA per play on passing snaps, we were like 88th or something. And he's like, it wasn't good, but it's obviously far from dead ass last. But against the run by basically every metric, we were top 25 in the country. So I'll go with that for now. But yeah, it's, it, it is truly one of the most fascinating things to watch this year. What does this front seven, I mean, just traditionally you'll call it a front seven, but what is that going to look like? how good are they going to be? Where, where are the strengths and weaknesses? What are we going to see from a formation standpoint? Who are going to be the breakout players that we're not really thinking about right now, right? Last year, Cal Halliday at this time, uh, Scott L. Brown, who, you know, I, I promise him we will be on the podcast soon. Um, he had mentioned in a, in a bold prediction that Cal Halliday is going to start a few games for us. And we were like, Cal Halliday, get out of here with that nonsense. Cal Halliday ends up being a freshman All-American. So who's who's that guy, right, this year that we just have no idea is going to come out of nowhere and be a, a productive player? One of the most fascinating things on this entire roster to watch is is this group that we're we're talking about. So last season we had all Big Ten team, Jacob Panashuk, second team. Jacob Slade, third team media, nowhere to be seen in coaches, which is absurd. But he was there. Um, And I'm going to pose a question to you in a second. Xavier Henderson was third team media as well, but we're not talking about his position right now. So I'm going to omit Cal Halliday from this question as well, because he seems too likely an answer given the attention he got last season. So no Jacob Slade. No Cal Halliday. I would guess we are going to have at least one from this front seven group on all Big Ten by the end of this season, at the end of this season. Who's it going to be? The most likely is Darius Snow. If, If he is actually, by the end of the season, still being listed as a linebacker which is to be seen. So if if he qualifies as the linebacker, I'll say Darius Snow cuz he's going to have that you know, he's going to have a few interceptions, he's going to have a few pass breakups, he's going to have some tackles for loss, he's going to have 80 tackles, right? He's just seems like the guy that's going to fill up the stat sheet. Um but if if push comes to shove he plays more snaps in the slot and at safety and he he's more qualified as a safety. Um, I'll say we, we were kind of talking about this months ago, but the, the windman brulee battle where I'm more on the brulee side, you're more on the windman side, one of those two, but I'll, I'll stick with brulee as being kind of my plant the flag player and say Aaron brulee. Yeah, I mean, I could see a few dudes here. I could see either of those guys. I could see Simeon Barrow. I could see 
I'll, I'll throw him in here because of what I said earlier. Jeff Petrowski as like a third team defensive end. If he can scrap hey, out like seven, seven eight sacks. Back, yeah. yeah. Um, if I have to put my plant my flag somewhere, I'll just go opposite you. I'll go with Jacoby Winman. Uh, his, his tape from UNLV. I I was I'm a total sucker for highlight tapes, especially for like transfers who have played in college. He looked so athletic at UNLV and he had so much experience in different roles. I mean, hand in the dirt, pass rusher, off ball, linebacker, off ball, pass rusher. Um, and he can be a thumper. I mean, you mentioned, and interestingly, you know, I watched his tape at UNLV and I'm like, okay, this is like a smaller undersized speed linebacker who's crafty in pass rush, but athletic enough to play outside and, and cover in space. And by and large, he can still do those things. He's not the smaller linebacker. I thought he was at first glance. And He's I don't know if he got dude. bigger. I don't know if he got bigger after announcing his transfer or after his, you know, highlight reel at UNLV was solidified, but dudes, he's pretty thick. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he can go. Aaron Brule, a little bit smaller, not much, but a little bit smaller. So, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be a fun group. I'm excited. I think there's going to be definitely some breakout candidates. I'm really hoping for a breakout defensive end. Maybe Michael Fletcher can finally break through. We'll see. <laughs> the third straight year of predicting the Michael Fletcher breakout. All right, so we'll be back on Monday. We'll talk about the DBs. We'll talk about the specialists. And then from there, I mean, we are we are getting into predictions here. We'll have another mailbag. We will have um, all of our Michigan State predictions. We always do our Big Ten predictions as a whole. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. We'll try to get you guys involved. Um, what we'll, What I will say right now, is if you join the Facebook group, that's the Standing Room Spartans community on Facebook, um, relatively soon when we are getting ready for our predictions, we're going to post in there and ask for your predictions for the season. Wins and losses, Big Ten champion, um, Big Ten offensive and defensive player of the year. We'll, we'll kind of figure that all out. And if you are in the Facebook group and you respond to whenever that post is, we will read off all of those predictions and we'll post it on Twitter and we'll read some of those as well. Um, but as a way to kind of promote that Facebook group, we want to do more with it and kind of have our own little podcast bubble on there. Um, so I, I will say that for now. But uh, yeah, other than that, if you guys have any mailbag questions that come to mind at the moment, feel free to send them over. You can DM us. You can send us an email, standingroomspartans at gmail.com, and uh, we'll make sure we hit on it. So until Monday, hope everybody has a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Go green. Go white. Take care.